The following audio is a sermon from Sacred City Church. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 2, 13, 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this French novelist, and I'm going to have to say his name, and I'm just going to butcher it probably, Anton de Saint-Exupéry, Exupéry, all right, once said this, if you want to build a ship, okay, if you want to build a boat, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign people tasks and specific tasks of work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Now, I want you to think about that. Exupery was saying that people are more motivated by a vision of what could be than they are by menial tasks that could actually get them there, like gathering Wood to build a boat is needed, right? Somebody looking at the blueprints and drawing up the blueprints is probably needed. But what's going to get them through the menial tasks is actually this vision of the sea, this vision of what could be, what's out there, glory, right? Excitement, adventure, maybe even fame and recognition. Teach them to long for that. Give them, get, them, get that picture in their mind and that desire in their soul, and then they can whistle while they work, right? Then they can build the blue, or, you know, build things out according to the blueprints, do the menial tasks. If you've ever, you know, for those of us in here who've worked, been through college, you should know this, right? You should get this. Very few people that I know actually enjoy the menial tasks of studying and taking tests and going to class, right? But we long for the, the degree, right? We long for what could come from the degree. Well, I think that's true with most of us that it's really, most of us live kind of like bogged down with the daily minutiae in our lives, right? Wake up, get the kids ready, get breakfast, get get them out the door, go to work, come home, dinner, put the kids to bed, right? Like we're just daily kind of bogged down with um, just the daily things that come in and out of our lives every single day. And what many times happens, and even in the church, right? Sunday morning, Wednesday night, maybe mission on Saturday, we get into this rut and we kind of lose sight of the immensity of the sea. We kind of lose, why are we here? What are we doing? What are we a part of? We're down here, you know, gathering wood and doing and serving and living our lives in the daily minutia and we're getting bogged down and we're forgetting what's really going on around us. We sing, we gather, we listen to God's word being preached. We love one another, right? In our small house groups, we call missional communities. We serve our city, we give our money. We do our jobs as acts of worship to our God, and we strive to love our neighbors well and share the gospel with them. But why? All those things are great. 
That's all gathering wood, right, and doing tasks to build the ship. But do we remember why we're doing what we're doing? Do we have a, a vision for the immensity, the va- just the, the greatness of the sea? Have we forgotten what it is we're actually a part of? This morning, my prayer is that I kind of teach you this morning to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And for us, that means that you can, I'm praying that you catch a glimpse this morning in your mind's eye or in your heart of what the church of Jesus Christ is, what she, what she actually is, and what she should be. Like, how is she supposed to look? What is this thing that we're a part of? And I think if you catch it, if you see it correctly, that this vision will motivate you, it will hopefully stir your affections, and then it will send you out on mission with far more passion than just sailors with dreams of the sea. And I think if you can get your mind around this and let it affect the way that you live your life, that your neighbors, your friends, your family that you're on mission to will actually be stirred by this vision as well. I think most of our neighbors, most of our family, most of our friends have this picture in their head of what the church is and it doesn't stir them. And you can ask them this, hey, you want to come to church with me? No, why not? Why don't you want to go to church? Why don't you enjoy the church? Because the church is, and let them, let them unravel whatever that is, the church is a bunch of bigots. The church is a bunch of people who think they're, it's like a social club. It's like this religious club. It's a bunch of people who, who do good. Oh, that's your picture of the church? Great, because I hate that church too. That's not the church we're talking about, right? That's not what, so kind of let them spill out what they've got and then unpack for them. That's not the church. And I, I think many times what we think the church is is so small and so narrow, and we need to get this bigger vision. We need to get our eyes up and look back and go back to God's word and see what it is. And I think this is what our society as a whole needs right now. Over the past few months, many news stories just continuing, just really an onslaught of news stories have revealed a deep division in our country. Divisions between black and white, divisions between Republican and Democrat, divisions between man and woman, divisions between economic classes, what neighborhoods people grow up in, what neighborhoods people live in. Recent Pew Research shows that the gaps between races, classes, and political parties are more divided now than any time in the past 20 years. That when they draw the median line between Republican and Democrat, the median line is farther right and farther left than any time in the past 20 years. That we are being, we're becoming a nation of polarized individuals, people on completely different ends of the spectrum. And there's very little, and I'm not saying, when I say middle ground, I don't mean moderates, okay? So if you think, well, that's why I'm a moderate. That's not what I mean, okay? I mean dialogue in between, understanding each other, unity in diversity. It seems that our world is getting more and more polarized and divided. But listen, It's in this increasing polarization that the church of Jesus Christ should be standing out as a brilliant light in the darkness. We should be standing out as a radically diverse community who has the answers to the questions our country is asking. How can the classes get along? How can we have unity and diversity? How can we be united and live together? The church has the answers that our society is asking, but we've got to recognize it We've got to come to understand it ourselves. We've got to go back to the scriptures and be more shaped by the scriptures than what news channel you watch. 
So that's what we're going to do this morning. Today's scripture, we see the Apostle Paul. He paints this brilliant and beautiful picture of the church that the whole world wants to be a part of, but cannot produce on its own. Now, how, how much in this Pew Research, they, they talked about faith in government, right? And, 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 and Americans' faith in our government has been decreasing <laughs> over time. But the one thing that's kind of funny is every politician that wants to be elected, what are they going to do? They're going to bridge the gap, right? They're going to bring the two parties together. I'm going to stand and call, I'm going to bring them together. And we're going to be united around these issues. We're going to work for the country. And, we're gonna do, and does it ever happen? Does it ever happen? Absolutely not. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Why? Because most of the people paying his salary want him to land on one side or the other, right? All the people that, that got him elected, they want him to be on the right. They want him to be on the left. There is no walking down the park. There is no walking the aisle and bringing the two parties together. Our country is incapable of doing it. It's incapable. Why? Because we're selfish. We want what we want to take place. We want, we want people to vote like us and think like us and elect people like us. But, so no, nobody knows how to do what we want to see happen. We want to see reconciliation, right? We want to see peace. We want to see equality. We want to see these things, but our country can't produce them because they don't have a foundation to do it. But the church, see, the church of Jesus Christ is a people who are deeply diverse and yet even deeper still united. The church is the one place on earth where there can be, and listen, there must be deep unity within all of our diversity. So what Paul's going to do here first, I'm going to say when we get to our text, first thing he's going to do, he's going to show us kind of what's wrong, why we are not experiencing unity and diversity, why are we divided as a society. Then he's going to show us the answer. How can we be a radically diverse people and yet still have peace and be deeply united? So let's take a look. We're going to go to verse 14. Chapter 2, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 14. Open up your app, get there. Open up your Bible, get there. You won't get everything I'm talking about unless you're following along. So there should be some Bibles in your aisles if you need that, if you don't have a smartphone. Let's go ahead and read in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down, you need to underline that, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay? First thing I want you to see here. A dividing wall of hostility. Okay, Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is our peace. He has destroyed this wall. But first point I want you to see is that there is a dividing wall of hostility between people. Would you agree with him? <laughs> right? Has anybody been shocked at the hostility in our country right now? And the thing, maybe you, don't, you probably don't get that hostility too much in relationships. You don't see that polarization probably, but you probably do on Facebook, right? How many of you have been shocked by a comment that you've seen by somebody you thought you knew on Facebook, right? Whoa! Far right, far left, far, it would in your opinion would be racist, right? You've been shocked by it. There's this hostility. There's this animosity that's going underneath us. Now, what Paul's talking about here is Paul's giving us a case study in the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, 
okay? Now, we don't have this as much here today. We don't understand this, this separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? In this case, listen, this is what's interesting here. In this case, so the Jews were kind of God's chosen people, right? God chose Abraham. He said, from you, this moon worshiper out of Ur of the Chaldeans, he brought him together. He said, I've chosen you. I'm going to bless your posterity after you. You're going to be a chosen people and a chosen nature. You're going to be my people. I'll be your God. You be my people. And I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. But what Israel did is Israel kind of hoarded that blessing, Israel kind of walled themselves off from people and Israel kind of, it became about them and about their holiness and about their purity and they wanted, it was more about keeping the world from them. They weren't a blessing to the nations. And what happens is at this time, there were literal walls of separation that separated the Jew from the Gentile. In the temple, only the Jew could enter. Only the morally pure could enter. Only those who had been cleansed with the rites of purification could enter into the... So the Gentiles had to stand on the outside. The Gentiles couldn't get in and worship God. They couldn't hear of the goodness and the graciousness and the greatness of the God that they worship, of the God who pulled their ancestor Abraham, a moon-worshipping, just idol-worshipping man, and gave him grace. They couldn't hear about that. They were on the outside looking in. That created a real division and a real separation and real hostility between Jew and Gentile. And what it did in the hearts of the Jews is it gave them a feeling of superiority, right? It gave them this feeling that we're clean, that we're inside, that we've got God. God's on our side. God thinks like us. God acts like us. God votes like us. We're good. They're bad. Now, in our day and age, we don't have too many literal walls of hostility that separate people. But we do have many figurative walls of hostility. There are walls that separate black from white, walls that separate management from labor, walls that separate the rich from the poor. Some of these lines are just classified by neighborhoods, north, south, east, west. And the problem is with these walls, many times these walls are invisible to us. See, nobody... Very few people think, I'm just going to use race. Very few people think they're racist. Very few people think that they're, they have hostility going in their heart. Most of the time, that is a deep undercurrent, right, that flows just under the surface through our cities, and we're not even aware of it. Then all of a sudden, something like Ferguson, what happened in Ferguson, something like Ferguson happens, and something like what's happened in New York City with Eric Garner and the two police officers, and all of a sudden, what's flowing under the surface comes flying up in our faces, and we can see, whoa, we are greatly divided as a country. People you thought you knew start reacting on Facebook, and you're blown away by their responses, right? The lines are clearly drawn. You turn to one news channel, and it's all this side. You turn to the other news channel, and it's all this side. And now it's your choice. What am I going to choose? Am I going to choose this one, or am I going to choose this one? It's black versus white, rich versus poor, powerless versus the powerful. And it's just, and we can do, right? We we go, we can, whatever, and, and here's the thing. Whatever those undercurrents flowing in our hearts are, we can just pick a news source that reaffirms it to us, that reinforces what what we already thought. 
those undercurrents, right, that we've got, maybe even racial undercurrents that think all these people are all like that or those people are all like that or those people deserve that or if they do that, they deserve this. All of these undercurrents, we can just go to our news source and grab fodder for us to reinforce our own position. It builds our case and it condemns those on the other side. And just like in the day of Paul here in Ephesus, we have a problem. We are deeply divided as a country. We've got these clear lines of separation. Those are in, those are out. And Paul, but Paul here, doesn't just diagnose it. Thank God, right? He doesn't just get the Pew research that says how bad off we are and how segregated we are and how separated we are and how much division we have. Paul gives us, church, listen, this is the vision of the sea. Paul gives us a picture of what the church should look like, of what Christ has done for her. And we're going to see that right now. Verses 15 and 16. First, I'm going to read 13. But now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at verse 15. How did he do that, right? How did Jesus do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, you're going to see this a lot, in Christ, in himself, in Jesus, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, So there was outsider, insider, now they're made one. There's Jew, there's Gentile, now they're made one in Christ. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, there's a lot there. Let's go through that. What does it mean that Jesus abolished the law by creating one new man out of humanity through the cross? What does that mean? Does it mean Jesus just threw out the Ten Commandments? No, that's not what that means. Obviously, it doesn't mean that because on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching and he he says, you know what it says? It says, thou shalt not kill. That's a Ten Commandment. But Jesus says, hold on, let let me actually teach you what that really means. He says, if you hate your brother, you've killed him already. If you ignore him and you're cold to your brother, you've already killed him. You've already broken that commandment. So Jesus doesn't throw out the Ten Commandments. He actually shows us the deeper meaning behind him. He goes deeper into our own hearts and says, you don't, it ain't just about murder. It's about your feelings towards your brother, your heart position towards your brother. He's, say, he's not saying, oh, you don't need to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. He's saying, friends, my, the Ten Commandments are far more broad and deeper in their ramifications and implications than you ever thought. And you've got to live according to the Ten Commandments. He's reinforcing the Ten Commandments. So, so what's he saying? He's saying this. Paul is saying that following the Ten Commandments... Right? All the laws that we can make. Following the Ten Commandments is not the way, here, listen, that you get in the inner circle with God. Following the Ten Commandments is not the way that you get on the inside with God. See, the Israelites were using the law. They were using the purification rites, the ceremonial laws, to keep God to themselves. They were building walls to keep others out and to keep God in. They were insiders and the Gentiles were outsiders. They were deeply divided. And Paul says, God did away with all of that separation through the cross. He says in verse 16 that God reconciled those deeply divided people through the cross. Listen, 
by killing the hostility. Now that's an important phrase. Killing the hostility. How and why? Paul uses the word hostility a few times in this section. Let me just say this. The reason we are a deeply divided people is because we are hostile to people who aren't like us. Every single person, now this, I'm going to have to prove this to you. Every single person is hostile to another type of people. You have this hostility. It might be undercurrent. You might not see it, not be aware of it, but we have this undercurrent of hostility to a certain type of people. Let me build this out a little bit. Growing up, I'm pretty sh- I'm, I'm sure it depends on where you grew up, what side of the ch- tracks, what neighborhood, what culture, but I'm pretty sure that you learned pretty quickly what it took to get on the inside of some inner circle of people, right? Some inner ring of people. You want to be awarded at the end of the school year and pranced up on stage to be commended in front of your peers as summa cum laude, what do you have to do? right? You got to get good grades. You've got to work hard. You've got to do your homework. Some people go outside to play. You got to come in and work hard. And the reward is going to be at the end of the year, you get pranced up on stage and a pin and a, and a little plaque. And everybody says, good job. Great job. You're awesome. Right? Now, what happens in that situation? What usually happens is that all of a sudden you realize that you are now on the inside to a special group of people. You are on the inner ring of some group of people. And what happens is, you may be aware of it, you may not be aware of it, but all of a sudden, there is now this hostility between you and those people who are on the outside of that group. See, you are smart, others are not as smart. You might not be the one saying it, you might not even have this feeling in your heart, but eventually it's going to pop up and you're going to see it. You are hardworking, others are less so. Your hostility usually comes out in some form of legalism that's often invisible to you. You would often have thoughts like this. Oh, or maybe not even you. Maybe it's your parents that have these thoughts, but you kind of adopt them. If you just work hard like me, you could get on the inside like I did. See the wall? Insiders, outsiders, These people work hard. These people don't work hard. These people have what it takes. These people might not have what it takes. These people are smart. These people aren't. If a person works hard, what happens? They're in the inside and they kind of get proud. Right? What happens if they can't get into the inner circle? Maybe they're... You know, there's a lot of people in our, a lot of families in our culture that they don't work with their kids, they don't teach their kids how to read, they don't read their, with their kids at night, so maybe they have this disadvantage and they're going to school and they have all these other kids up there that are on the inner ring and they're on the outside and they can't get there, so now what? They feel like a failure, right? They might look on the inner, if I had parents like that or if I had a family like that or if I had a mom and a dad living at home, maybe I could do that. There's this hostility that arises in something so simple as academic achievement. Something that's so simple. And I'm going to say it comes in every area of our life. Every inner ring. Athletics. Work hard. Be great. Make the team. Go to state. Whatever. Beauty. Look like this. Dress like this. Have this. Wear this. You'll be on the inside if you get in and the outside if you're not. Popularity. Power. 
right? Work hard, pay the price, get inside. And then once inside, the incipient nature of our pride goes to work and it creates this hostility between us and those on the outside. Let me tell you this. The heinousness of this sin is that it's acceptable in most, not maybe in many churches. The church itself becomes this inner ring of people who've worked hard to get in. I don't do drugs. I pay my bills. I'm responsible. I have a good job. I don't have these big glaring sins in my life. I've really got it together. I've worked hard to get where I am. So now we gather together and, if, and the, the, the message that goes out, the walls of hostility around the church are get your stuff together and then come be good like us. And once you come be good like us, that means you're going to have to vote like us. That means you're going to have to dress like us. You have to hang out with people like us. You have to be boring like us. That's the, that's the message that goes out. It's a wall of hostility that we've worked ourselves into some inner ring, that the church itself could be an inner ring. And Paul is trying to destroy that mentality by saying, you were foreigners, you were far off, and God through his grace has brought you together. You didn't earn your way into this church. You didn't clean up your act to get here. You are jacked up, but Jesus saved you and brought you together. Now you're jacked up together. You're not fixed. You're not, you're cleansed in a positional sense in Christ, right? You've been declared righteous by God, but you're not righteous. We're declared righteous, but we're not righteous. We are in many ways no different than those outside of our walls. We've been given grace in Christ. Now, I can get it. Some of us are like, yeah, but that ain't me. I'm an open-minded person. I'm a tolerant person. I, I've got friends that are black and white and every other color in between. Like, I, I just don't think I've got that hostility that's flowing. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to press it a little bit more. I want you to think through this. Who, what type of person gets on your nerves? What type of person do you react to? Now listen, here's the deal. You might not have any relationships like this because I think our society does a good job of keeping us from those type of relationships that actually could bring some of this hostility down, right? Is it them Democrats? Is it them Republicans? Is it them homosexuals? Is it those lazy people who are on state aid or the government's helping? Who is it? Is it them criminals? Is it those successful people who are hungry for power and just want to gain wealth and they're, they're, you know, they just want to gather more for themselves and take from everybody else? Is it those who are destroying the environment? Is it those who are hugging trees? And what I want you to see is the Bible is so big that almost every one of those places, if you wanted to focus on those those issues that could be considered tertiary to the gospel, if you want to focus on them, you can build cases for them out of the Bible. 
That's why we're gospel-centered and not Bible-centered here at Sacred City. If, if the environment is the most important thing to you in your life, you can go to Genesis, first three chapters of Genesis. You could build a case for that, that we're meant to be stewards of creation. We're meant to oversee creation and cultivate creation and not destroy creation, and destroying creation is a sin. All right? So our... Oh, man, I don't want to just get... We can destroy creation, and it can be a sin on us. So if, if, if that's a big deal to you, that might shape your voting. And then there's some of us that, that go, hold on, hold on. Every human is made in the image of God. So there's a sanctity to human life, and every human being is precious in the eyes of God, whether in the womb or out of the womb, and you can make a, your stance, and you could die on that hill right there, and it's going to shape all your voting and all your thinking, and it's going to separate you from everybody else, and both of those things are absolutely true. Absolutely true, right? Abortion is heinous in the eyes of God. Absolutely true. But we can't take issues, any tertiary, and I know some of us are like, it's not tertiary, to the gospel. The gospel is primary. The gospel is the one narrative through the whole book, through the whole story of God, that we are far from God and nothing can reconcile us except the cross of Jesus Christ. So many of us think that we have to get somebody on our issue before they become a Christian. The issue is sin separates us from God and the cross is the answer. That's the only issue, that's the only answer that's primary, that's the only thing that's going to really tear down the dividing walls between all all of our issues, all of our separation. And listen, I know I'm... I'm running headlong through a minefield right now. I get it. I might lose a leg. It's good I'm preaching it on this Sunday when like half our church is not here. So, <laughs> Here's the deal. I, I, like, I'm pat, I, like, I could just feel it in the room right now, but like, I'm passionate about the sanctity of human life and about the need for us to fight, right? For the, the kind of, to be pro-life, right? Like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm personally passionate about that, right? But here's the deal. If, if that's my thing, if that's my thing, then I can become really hostile to people who are, to use this language, because it's in our society, pro-choice, and to people who've had abortions, and my pro-lifeness can actually divide, put a dividing wall between two humans that Jesus wants to save this person, that Jesus wants to give grace to this person, that Jesus wants to bring this person into the family of God where there are no dividing walls. Listen, you can't love a person you're hostile to. You've tried it. You just tried it a few days ago, right? You got family? You know you're hostile to some of them, right? You can't do it. It's fake. You cannot love a person you're hostile to because there's a dividing wall there. You're thinking in your mind, if they would just get it, if they could just be a little bit more like me, then we could get along. You can't be in a relationship with them. You won't listen to them or try to understand them. Your hostility, even if it's flying under your radar, your hostility will divide. Now, why is that? Why is it? 
I have a good friend who was kind of brought up, he was brought up in, in the church, but it wasn't a good church. And I'm just going to say it was, it was a, kind of a fundamentalist church, very legalistic type of church. And he has homosexual desires, and he ran, he ran from it. And all my life I grew up with hostility. I'll, I'll just tell you, like, I, I, you know, in the locker room, in athletics, you just grow up, to ho- grow up with hostility between gay and straight, right? Characterized, and it, I don't get them. And, so, and it's just like written off, and there's just this hostility there. And the, one of the greatest things for my soul is to sit down with my brother and to eat with him and to talk with him and to let and just to listen to him and just be there for him. And do I want him to embrace the gospel? Absolutely. Do I pray for him to embrace the gospel? Absolutely. This very week, he told me, you know what, the one thing I do miss about church is community. I'm so lonely. And I said, brother, you know why you do that? Because you were made in the image of God and God himself is a community and you long for community because that's how you were made. He starts tearing up. And, then he, and when I give him my little God talk, he goes, whatever, right? But it's good for my soul to know people out on the other side of my hostility. Now, listen, what is hostility? I just kind of showed you what it is a little bit, but listen, hostility is really masked self-righteousness. All of our hostility is masked self-righteousness. See, it's because of my upbringing, the, my culture, my choices in life, the way I read the Bible, which is affected by all those things, by the way, I look at another person and I say, I would never do that. I just don't get that. I would never make those choices. I would never say that. I would never treat people that way. I'm different from them. They're di- I don't even get that. That's self-righteousness. That's, we're not understanding another person's situation in life and we're speaking from up here, down here. That's our pride. See, when you're thinking like that, I would never do that. Number one, you don't understand the doctrine of sin. Because the doctrine of sin says there's something inside of every single one of us given the right circumstances that we could be just like that. That's the doctrine of sin. We've got this thing on the inside of us. That only thing that keeps us from committing some heinous and terrible sins is the grace of God given to us. The grace of God holding us back. And I feel like when we're turning on our news channels right now, how many of us, we just say things like this. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he did that. Yeah, if you do that, that's going to happen to you. Why? I would never do that. What an idiot. Why did he do that? When we're saying that, that's our self-righteousness. We're forgetting about the grace of God and Jesus. We're forgetting that given, if God would unleash the sin that's in our heart, if he would pull back his hand and let that sin that's in our heart go and let it run unleashed that we could be committing those same things even worse than those things but his hand is gracious and keeping us without the grace of God we could be the ones doing the things that we think we would never do 
See, anytime we look, I mean, the easiest way to say it is we're looking down on someone saying, if they would just get their act together, if they would just get an education, if they would just get a job, if they would just stop doing this, we're looking down and we're proud. And here, when we're proud, we're above someone. We're in the position that only Jesus resides in. No matter how foolish or how illegal their behavior is, we, when you're looking down on someone, you're elevating yourself to a position that only Jesus should be in. And only Jesus has the right to look down on someone and condemn them. And Jesus doesn't look down on people. Jesus comes down and dwells with us and lives with us and then dies for us. Think about that. Think about that. How dare you to be hostile to another sinner? How dare you look down on the foolishness of some other sinner because they sin differently than you do? While we were completely hostile to God, think about this, while we were completely hostile to God, God sent his son Jesus. Jesus then, without any hostility of his own, took all of our hostility onto himself all the way to the cross and allowed sinners like us in our hostility to kill him. In the death of Jesus, our pride, our self-righteousness, all of our hostility has died, has been destroyed, has been annihilated on the cross. That is grace. And three days later, Jesus steps out of the tomb showing us that he is victorious, that he completed what he came to do, that he conquered. He did what none of us can do. This is what Paul says here. He's reunited us. He's brought people that were far off together to be united. He's made two different types of people into one new humanity in the church. The church is the only place where mankind is actually united because the only thing that unites them is the cross and the grace of Jesus. The church is supposed to be the most diverse people group on the planet because all of the hostility that keeps us separated, all of those, I'm going to say, I know we don't think they're tertiary issues. We don't think they're outside. We think they're primary. All those secondary issues race, ethnicity, class, right, socioeconomic status, neighborhoods, issues on all those political issues that are around us. All those things are secondary and the walls have been divided at the cross of Jesus. Sinners reconciled to God, made into one new humanity. All of the things that bug me. Listen, I got a long list of things that bug me right? Many of them come from, because I'm a white, middle-class American. Many of them come because I wrestled. And once you've wrestled, Dan Gable says, once you've wrestled, everything else is easy. So my go-to is like, work hard, dude. Suck it up. Get up earlier. Stay up later. Be a man. Pull your big point, big boy pants on, put your work boots on, and go to work, right? But that's my culture. That's my experience that's shaping me. That's not the cross, It's not the cross where Jesus dies for his enemies. And look at this. This is 
Look at the picture that he's going to show us. Again, kind of the picture of the sea. Look at verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both, all the different types of people, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now look, look at this. Paul's about to show us this progressive nature of the church, this kind of progressive revelation of the church, that the church is going to go from outsiders to insiders to really closely knit together because of the work of Jesus, okay? Now watch, look at the progressive illustration that he uses. First off, strangers and aliens, okay? We get what strangers and aliens are, people that don't know each other, people that come to our country, whatever, strangers and aliens, people on the outside, right? He says, you're no longer stranger and aliens, but what are you? Fellow citizens, Okay, first off, the Christ, Jesus, his work on the cross brings us together, takes outsiders, brings them into citizens. Now listen, citizens, hey, my neighbor's a citizen. People, you guys are citizens, like, you know, we're not that deeply connected, right? I can deal with citizens. I can deal with different, you know, political persuasions and all these different things that bug me. Citizens, it don't really bug me that much because you're not in my face, right? But let's keep, keep reading. Saint, you are fellow citizens, look here, with the saints, and, uh-oh, members of the household of God. Okay, that's a little closer connected. So we went from citizens, now we're members of the household of God. That means, oh I'm probably going to see this person at least every Sunday. Well, they bug me, but at least they're only going to get on my nerves one day a week. Right? Let's keep reading. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Look at this. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is the, he says, I'm building a people. And he's talking about a temple. And Jesus is the cornerstone. That means he's a brick, right? He's, He's the cornerstone. He's the brick. And now, I'm, bu- I'm making you into that temple. What does that mean? That means you're a brick, right? You're a brick in the temple, the church of God. And guess what? Bricks are connected pretty intimately with other bricks, right? And he's talking about, I want you to see this progressive nature of intimacy in the church, that you are aliens, now you're citizens, you're citizens, now you're family, you're family, now you're this close together with people who are absolutely not like you, raised on the opposite side of the tracks, different race, different color, different political persuasion, rich and poor, this close together, and the and the world would look in at the church, if that was happening, the world would look in at the church and go, We need that. That's what we need. That's reconciliation. That's peace. And Jesus says in the beginning of the passage, he himself is our peace. He is the cornerstone. He's the mortar that keeps us together. As we come to believe the gospel, as we come to believe the gospel, our relationships should be getting closer and closer and closer to people who are different from us. Races, income levels, education. Now, in order for that to happen, what's got to happen? The cross has to be more fundamental to me, more foundational to me. 
more centering, my identity has to be more centered around the cross than any other inner circle that I've worked my way into throughout my life. I've got friends that are Navy SEALs. There is a great amount of pride that comes by working yourself into this inner circle. Like I've mentioned wrestling. Wrestling is an inner circle. I've got guys that think I'm cool. They just walk up and they see my ears. They're like, where'd you wrestle? It's, it's, it's a pride thing. Is what accomplishment in my life is more central to me than the cross? Middle class is less important. Educated, college educated, PhD, MBA, less, less important. Race is less important. Do you see this? I have more in common with a person who's believed the gospel and embraced you than I do with people that I've wrestled with my whole life or been in military with or been neighbors with. I have more in common with somebody. No matter what race they are, the cross is the commonality between us. The, the sin in my life and the grace of Jesus is the commonality. At the cross, all the dividing walls of hostility have been torn down. Now, we, we stole something from Tim Keller a long time ago that we say a lot around here to remind us of the gospel. And if you're, if you're new here, you might hear it for the first time, but if you're not, you've heard it for, this might be the 10,000th time. It's this, what's the gospel? What reminds us of the gospel? I am far worse than I've ever thought. But at the same time, I am also simultaneously far more loved than I ever dare imagine. That's the reality. This, guys, our hostility towards people not like us is shameful. People who came from all walks of life, all sin, and God, Jesus gave us grace. Jesus is on the cross looking down at those who killed him, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Our, divide, our division is shameful. It's, it, it doesn't even make sense with the message that we proclaim that nothing can save us but the grace of God. It doesn't make sense. I want our lives not to make sense on the other end of the spectrum. There's so many different types of people there. There's so many different classes and different colors and different races. It doesn't make sense. And the only explanation is the gospel that we say we believe. That God has reconciled for himself a people from every nation and every tribe and every type of people. And it's, the church, it's what the church is going to look like in the new heavens and the new earth when every tribe, nation, tongue is going to be around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's where we're headed. I want this church to look like, to look like what's happening in the future. This church needs to embrace this. What does it mean for us? I don't know specifically. What does it mean for you specifically? I don't know. Faith and repentance? Probably. When we get this, you won't be able to let your political affiliation, and I'm not saying to be apolitical. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to be a moderate. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let your political affiliation, your skin color, your neighborhood, or your tax bracket divide you from the diversity of God's people. And only the cross can do that. 
where I, I realize I'm a sinner just like every single, every single other person on this planet and the only thing that can save me is the grace of God through Jesus on the cross. Let me pray. Father, it's so easy for the church to become another inner circle. So easy for me to stand up here and to kind of preach to the choir, to preach to maybe conservative people, to preach to maybe the white middle class. I think it's probably going on in a lot of different churches. You go and your own stereotypes just get reinforced from the pulpit. Father, may it not be so here. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be primary. That we disagree. Those issues may be important, but they're not more important than the fact that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God and we're called to be on mission to other cities, to tell them, other sinners, to tell them about the grace of God in Jesus. And may our political affiliations and all those secondary issues, may they not get in the way of us telling sinners about the miraculous grace of God. Would you help us be an agent of reconciliation? Would you help our church preach the gospel of reconciliation? Would you help us believe the gospel of reconciliation? Would you help us be united with people not like us? Would you, by your spirit, really push us and bring those relationships? I know we can't force it, but bring those relationships in our lives that can help us tear down those dividing walls of hostility in our own heart, in our own neighborhoods, in our own workplaces and schools. Would you do that for us, Father? Help us believe the gospel. Give us the faith to believe it. And as we come, as Christians come this morning, to take the Lord's Supper. Even the bread itself reminds us there was a lot of different ingredients that went into this one loaf. A lot of different things came in, but one loaf, and we eat of one loaf, that there is a diversity in unity. Even in the bread that we eat, Father, you've done the work for us. You've saved us. You've united us. We are one temple. We are one body. We thank you for this. May our church look like it. May those we have over for dinner look like it. May our missional communities look like it. Would you do this for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of our city? In Jesus' name, amen.